Happy Halloween, witches, and welcome to <laughs> Resting Witch Face, your one-stop haunt for all things spooky, bitchy, and more. I guess it's not, tech- I guess Halloween's tomorrow. It's tomorrow, but that's pretty damn close. Yeah. It's fucking mischief night or whatever. Oh, yeah. Yeah, kids do these days. Um, I hope you're doing, you know, egging some houses, TPing some trees, a little ding-dong ditch. I, I ho- honestly hope that you are sitting at home quietly Watching scary movies and eating candy until you feel sick. Mm. Um, I'm Grant Jacoby. I'm Bailey Bennett. And I'm trying something new today in which I didn't shower or get ready before Grant came over. And I think he can probably smell me from here because I just went on a run. Still wearing the clothes I ran in. I can't. I wish I could. I'm sure you smell terrific. But how cute do I look, though? You look really cute. Thank I mean, you. I rarely shower before coming over because I right. believe we talked about I fucking hate showering and I only do it for the purpose of hygiene as opposed to like anything else. Yeah, I don't really like it either. Um, So I have something dumb to okay. talk about. Great. Which is that I I think my phone is haunted. <gasps> yes, baby. Um, Not actually, but so, so probably about Six months ago, I think around like what there was like some Apple update. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, I have an iPhone, and my iTunes started like glitching. Yeah, where, like if I started playing a song, it would be like if I had just opened the app and I started playing a song, it would like skip. It would like sound like a, like a record skipping. Oh, um, but then recently, one of my headphones broke. Okay, so I just was I've been listening to like music through like one earbud, and it fucking sucks. And so I asked my boyfriend like, "Oh, do you have an extra pair around? Like I could borrow." Mm-hmm. And so he let me borrow these like old kind of like janky like orange headphones, <laughs> and they caused my phone to go ape shit. Really? So I would start listening to a song, and it would like pause the song, and oh. then I press play, and it would pause it again, and then it would start <gasps> like scrubbing forward. So if you listen to a song, it would be like, blah, 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 and oh then it would God. like turn Siri on. Was it trying to send you a message? I don't know. <laughs> what were the words I, it was skipping to? That is a good question. I should try and pay closer attention. And like, of course, I was like, holy shit, like my phone is fucking haunted. And I got home and I was like, to my boyfriend, I was like, uh, like, what the fuck is going on? Like, did this ever happen with your these headphones? And he's like, oh yeah, all the time. Like, that's like why I don't use them. I was like, oh, oh thank you. Great. <laughs> so Well, I I really can relate, but the, in in an even scarier twist of events, I lost my headphones completely this week. Oh. And for four days, I was just walking around with my own thoughts. Can you think of something more terrifying? Uh, I mean, I'm going to have nightmares I had just to thinking about it. I commute to and from work Why? just in silence. Why would, didn't you just go to like a like a Dwayne Reed and get some like $10? Because like, I have the new the new iPhone oh. where they don't connect to a regular headphone jack. Oh, so bitch. I yeah, I mean, I regret everything. Now, I love the phone, but like I, I didn't have a, a single other pair of headphones that could actually go into that fucking fire whatever jack. <laughs> and I couldn't, and like there's, an, I didn't have time to go to the Apple store like during the week. Finally, I made it to a Target like on Friday, but I have like, I, I don't think I realize how terrible it is just walking around, like the sounds yep. of New York without 
music and or podcasts blaring in my ears, I was just like, I was just like singing quietly to myself <laughs> like a fucking psycho. Well, I think that the, the real horror of that all is that it just like welcomes the strangers to like try and strike up a conversation with you. Oh I feel my like God. there's something there, the anonymity about listening to headphones, like even if someone's like, you can clearly hear them and you're just like, oh, sorry, I can't, I can't hear you. Bye. Uh-huh. And they're like, you're still standing next to me on the subway car. I'm like, I'm, I gotta go. I'm sorry. I mean, if you're trying to make, if you're trying to make conversation with me while we're actively standing next to each other on a subway, like, goodbye. Yeah, good. I'm sorry that goodbye. I'm a murderer now. <laughs> um, <clears throat> well, that's fun. Do you have any um, plans for tomorrow for Halloween? No. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, literally not at all. I. Oh, actually, I'm gonna save this for the complaint section because I it's it's kind of a, it's a Halloween related complaint and it's making okay. me very very sad. So I'll, oh okay, I'll, I'll let you know later. Okay, yeah. I mean, I um, you know what? I have some Halloween thoughts and I'm gonna save them for the complaint section too. Great. So if you were really looking for our hot takes on Halloween 2K18, just skip ahead to the end of the episode. No, don't do that. But also, but please don't because I'm we've got some other content to, to talk us. about, and Bailey's telling a story that I'm sure is spooky and awesome. One of our good friends the other day was like, "I love listening to your podcast, but like, I really only like the um the complaints and the badass bitches." And I was like, "Okay, so not like the story part, which is like the main part of our podcast." Yeah, wasn't she like? It was she like, "It's like too scary." It's too scary for it's me. Like, well, it's like, well, you know what? I'm sorry. I mean, I I've definitely mentioned <laughs> I this get before. It. Also, I realized that. If you want to play, like, if you're like one day binging through this series of ours, and you want a I'm good, so drink, sorry. you want a good drinking game, drink every time that Grant says. I'm pretty sure I've mentioned this in a previous episode <laughs> because I say it a lot, but yeah. I'm pretty sure I mentioned this in a previous episode. But um, I've also like got some feedback like w- early, early on where someone's like, "Yeah, like I got like too scared, so I like I like turned it off," and I was like, "Oh, like I'm sorry, like that yeah. sucks." And, and they're like, "Have you ever like thought about telling like a non?" Like scary story, and like, I'm like, yeah, that would be interesting if it was a different, a podcast. different, po- and it's like you don't have to like just because you're my friend, you don't need to listen to us. It's like really you, fine, like we get it. We got enough of you freaks listening as it is, mm-hmm. which like we the love. Jeffrey Dahmer dream. episodes where we're like, if you could just give us a listen, like <laughs> it won't even affect your day at all. It's definitely not going to make you feel like we live in like a depressing dungeon of a world. I got it when that episode dropped. I got a text from my sister. Just like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Or she just was like a bunch of, like barfing emojis. I was just like, like, yep, here I am. We didn't do it. We're just relaying the information. I mean, don't shoot the messenger. (laughs) Well, I think that there's a subset, and I think that I am part of the subset, which is why I always bring in these, like, gory stories, is because it's that, like, it's so gross, and, like, you don't want to hear about it, but, like, you're so fascinated. Like, I fucking hate when, like when like I'm listening to a podcast or like something about true crime and they're like, and the details were so grisly and we're not going to tell them to you. I'm yeah. like, well, it can't be worse than what I'm mm-hmm. thinking about, but then sometimes you do learn it and then you're like, oops, yeah. didn't need that visual. But like, I've done it once or twice on this podcast. You have, but I then really I make felt you, like I needed to. And then, then I, I make you tell me. I told you afterwards and you were like, Oh, okay. Yeah, no, uh, I get that. Yeah, yeah. Well, you didn't say that. Um, but don't um, we have, don't we have a listener? Hey, that's great. We do. Today? Okay, so this is from Ashley. And so she says, This ghost story is not 100% my own experience, but a couple of spooky things that did happen to me and people I know and trust. About a month after I moved in with my boyfriend, we were hanging out at his grandmother's house in the middle of the night, all alone. Why would you do that? Yeah, what? Um, Like, stay away from any house owned by a grandmother in the middle of the night. Um, When suddenly there was a very loud sound, like a door slamming outside. For some context, my boyfriend's grandma's house does in fact have a door outside next to the front door. It's just an old storage room that has a hot water heater. This house sounds 
already terrifying. Okay. It's like, I like this, like the context of an outdoor, an outside house. Uh, sorry. Wow. Outside door. It doesn't uh-huh. go anywhere. Okay. Right, okay. Blah, blah. So she hears a sound and then she says, I immediately jump like 10 feet off the couch where we were sitting thinking it's a serial killer coming to murder us. My boyfriend looks out the peephole and promptly says there's no one outside, but knowing both of us had heard the door slam, we ventured out with nothing but a baseball bat and, pep- and my pepper spray. Good things to have. Yeah, I, I agree. I feel like whenever I've like tried to um, investigate a strange noise, it's just like me and my stupidity <laughs> to like. <laughs> You're like, I'm like hello. Don't need anything here. Um. So we stand under the carport, looking around. What's a carport? Uh, my boyfriend unfazed. Meanwhile, I'm cowering behind him, convinced that we're about to get murdered or something. After all, it was a loud ass noise in the dead of night in a sleepy, sleepy ass neighborhood where traffic promptly ends at 10 p.m. <laughs> I do like the sound of this neighborhood. I'm yeah, I know. It's, I'm 10. sorry. Are there any um, availabilities? <laughs> Just no, no homes with outside doors. <laughs> um, after a few minutes of silence, investigating the room, seeing no one was there, we turned to head back inside when we hear footsteps, Mm-mm. like someone running near us, but no. we saw no one. No. Oh, don't like that. Don't like a running footstep. Nope. Um, I started to panic, so my boyfriend ushered me inside and slept with the light on that night. Sorry, sidebar question. This is usually something that comes up in, like, zombie movies. Yeah. But, but, I, but like, I feel like it's also very applicable to, like, slasher films. Like, do you think it's scarier when, like, in a movie or, like, the concept of, like, someone coming after you moving really, really slowly? No. Or, like, running? For sure running. I do, too. That was, like, when I watched It Follows, I was like, I mean, <laughs> you have so much time. Just, like, get on a fucking plane. Like, get out of here. Yeah. Moving so slowly. Yeah, zombies never get me because it's, like, I, ha- I mean, you're probably... Unless you're watching like, the remake of Dawn of the Dead or like 20 Days right. Later where the, those shitters run. Yeah, shitters. those shitters those. run. <laughs> Great. All right. Sorry. Stupid sidebar. Back to Ashley's story. Um, a few months passed and I'd forgotten about the incident until my boyfriend and I were hanging out at his grandma's house again. Why would you do that? <laughs> at night with his family. Okay. Um, this time in the dead of winter. Okay. <laughs> his aunt asks uh, me to help her walk some of their dogs. Um... They have three pit bulls that I love with my whole heart. Aww. I, of course, agree. Put the leash on one of the pups and open the door to walk outside when my blood runs cold. The cars in the yard have all their interior lights on and the doors wide open. Oh, my God. <gasps> God the sound that just came out of my mouth. Um, I immediately turn around and slam the door behind me, thinking it must be a car robbery. I inform everyone in the house we get the rest of the dogs and run outside. Everyone is dumbfounded and a little scared. A little we searched the property, not finding any evidence of the things inside the cars being tampered with or stolen, and find zero evidence of anyone having been in the yard. We were about to turn back into the house when the dogs start going berserk over something in the woods. Oh, no. No, <sighs> no, 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 no. Being that it was dark as shit outside, none of us could see what they were freaking out about, when suddenly I remembered the night um, with the slamming door and promptly ran my ass inside. <laughs> My boyfriend, ever the realist, assured me it must have been someone playing a prank and tried to calm me down, but I was terrified. Do people play pranks anymore? Is that something that we do? Yeah, no, that's not an explanation. I mean, the explanation could be like someone was trying to rob your car, like trying to steal your car, steal something from your car, something like that, like something non-paranormal. But like prank, uh, that's, I feel like that's never the answer. Yeah. I mean, like a good way to try and like calm yourself down. Yeah. Um... Okay, so she says, I never dropped what happened. I was constantly telling my boyfriend that I thought his grandma's house was haunted. After a good few days of pestering, pestering, he told me that his grandma's house was in fact haunted by a spirit named Alan. Uh, oh, 
like just casually that I forgot to mention that. Mm-hmm. Um, how they know his name, I do not know. Anyways, my boyfriend is not super into the supernatural like I am, but he's not totally a skeptic either. He told me the story of the time that once he was asleep on her couch and he watched a dark figure walk down the hallway towards the bedrooms. And when he jumped up to investigate, the figure was completely gone. (laughs) Another incident was when his aunt was lying on the couch when she felt a sharp pain in her back. And when she investigated, there was a letter A scratched perfectly on her back. Shut up. Are you like you just. Like, hey, I'm like, did you to mention, this Are you fucking kidding me? I would literally be like, we are over. We are done. <laughs> like, you neglected to mention the ghost. Like, you keep taking me to this fucking grandma's house. I love you, but, like, you did not disclose. Yeah. Holy The information shit. I needed about this ghost. Um. Anyways, I was spooked, to say the least. Hence, my boyfriend never telling me about the activity in the house. <laughs> okay, so she's, she knows what's up. Mm. And things start to get... Um, more active and more frequent, like the bathroom light cutting itself off rapidly or the dogs growling and barking at nothing at all or things constantly being moved from where they once were. One of the scariest things was my boyfriend would go outside really late to smoke and and while we were sitting on the steps around 3 a.m., we heard what sounded like screeching and wailing. Oh, my God. This went on for several nights at the same time, even though we seemed to be the only people that heard it. Another terrifying event was that one evening I was taking a shower. Don't do that in a haunted house. (laughs) Don't shower. Um, Don't ever shower. Yeah. Take a note from Bailey. Don't shower. (laughs) Um, When the lights cut out on me, I laughed thinking it was my boyfriend playing a joke on me. No one's playing jokes. But when I got out of the shower to turn the light back on, the door was still locked and no one was at home but me. No. No. That was the last straw for me. I went and bought some sage and cleansed the house of any and all unwanted spirits. And there hasn't been an incident since. But I still won't go outside alone at night. I, oh I have oh some God. questions. Why, like, and Ashley, maybe you can, the subject of this email was Alan the Ghost, which I love. And Ashley, maybe you can, like, send us a little follow-up, because I'm just, like, really fucking curious why you're constantly in, like, are you living <laughs> with his grandmother? I mean, like, that's, like, totally chill, but, like, maybe. I mean, I don't know. Maybe his grandma's, like, super fucking cool. Yeah, I mean, she's, like, a cool grandma. Yeah. Not, like, a regular grandma. She's a cool grandma. Yeah, but, <laughs> I mean, I have, I have a, a lot of questions. I can't even really comprehend like all of the things that happened. I mean, like the scarlet letter moment on that's her back might be amazing. just the most terrifying. And maybe that's how they put two and two together. Yeah. Like Alan just like really wanted to like write his name out. I really hope that they should get a Ouija board and just like fucking talk oh, to him. Oh yes. Yeah. Okay. Ashley, get a Ouija board. Now that you've cleansed the house and everything stopped happening, let's get it going again. Yeah. Like let's see if you can really piss off Alan and um Make him do some shit and like figure out what the fuck he wants. Yeah, amazing. Um, if you guys have any ghost stories, please email them to us at rwfpodcast.gmail.com. We love reading them. We do. All right. So before we get into this week's story, do you want to talk about some badass bitches real quick? I do. I know yours kind of pertains to your story. It does. It, it is related. So why don't you just go so first? is mine for well, kind of. Well, I'll just do my bitch first. Okay. So. As I'm sure as a lot of you listeners out there have been enjoying the new Netflix series, mm-hmm. The Haunting of Hill House. Yeah. Um, is that what it's called? Yeah. I always get confused because there's also The House on Haunted Hill. The House on Haunted Hill, which yeah. has always been like uh, that's one of like the horror movies I saw, like one of the first ones I saw that like mm-hmm. stuck with me and like terrified me. Yeah. I mean, Vincent Price alone, like anything in it that he's in, I'm gonna be like, mm-hmm. Um, no, Haunting of Hill House, which if you haven't checked it out, I highly recommend it. Um, it's really fucking well done and it's amazing, yeah. I, I will freely admit my my so my story is tangentially related to this show and I'll freely admit that I haven't finished it yet, but I'm really, really enthralled. Mm-hmm. 
I watched it in two days. Mm-hmm. Um, like pretty much like half and half, like f- five episodes one day, five the next. Um, and I just was really, really impressed by, I mean, the, the entire cast is excellent. Amazing. Um, so with, hot. So hot. I saw this, I saw this headline that was like, the family in the house on Haunted Hill is very haunted and so hot. <laughs> <laughs> they are all really good looking people. Um, and like all the child actors are great, but there's one performance that I just like had to like single out, which is Kate Siegel, who plays Theo. Theo? Hell yes. Um, f- because so I was first learned her talents um, uh-huh. in, the, in the film Hush, which was also directed by Mike Flanagan, okay. her husband, mm-hmm. who directed and greater, created yes yeah, of, of okay. Haunting of Hill House. Yep. Um, Let's just both say all the yes, things at the same time. Uh, same time. Okay. Um and. She just, like, plays this, like, really fucking, like, badass lesbian mm-hmm. with, like... Glove-wearing. Glove-wearing, <laughs> but, like, has, like, a, like, maybe some, like, superpowers. For sure. Um, and she just, like... She's one of those, those actresses, because... So, in the movie Hush, she plays a deaf-mute. So, oh. like, she, she has to rely on, like, not the dialogue. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, like... I felt it was echoed in her performance in The Haunting of Hill House, where it's, like, her reactions are just, like, so stunning. And, like, mm-hmm. I just, like, love, like, looking at her. She's also gorgeous. Amazingly like, gorgeous. Like, makes me, like, think I might not be as gay as I think I am. I think you but are. But also, I think I am. But, um, um, she's hot. But she's really great. And I think that I'm really glad. I don't know. I just, I like seeing it when, like, an actor I've enjoyed in, like, a previous performance is getting, like, more recognition mm-hmm. on something that's a little bit more mainstream. And, yeah. Um, and I think also in like in such a large ensemble cast, it's like hard to stand out. Mm-hmm. And I think that all the actors do have stand up moments, but like she's one of those like this was a really well written character. Like whenever it was like her storyline, it's just like oh yes, mm-hmm. yeah. I don't want to give anything away, but there's like this one moment that I, I think it's in episode three where basically you're just the the camera is on her face for like a two minute period, and you're just watching her react to something. Is this in the basement? No. Oh. But that was also fucking terrifying. Oh, yeah. She's in a car outside oh, of the house. Yes. Oh, And it's like, yes. okay, so she's reacting to what's happening, and then, she, and then like, there's a switch where she, like, because someone is looking at her, she changes her expression, mm-hmm. and the emotion that, like, that she conveyed on her face, and the way that she was able to, like, switch between those different reactions, I was like, holy shit, this is incredible. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, that wasn't a very good explanation. No, I don't want to give away any spoilers. I mean, I think that the listeners who have not seen the show will appreciate that. Mm-hmm. I have seen it, so I know exactly what you're talking about. I thought you did a great job. Okay, thank you. But long story short, check out Haunting the Hill House, which I think segues well to your badass bitch. Yeah, I mean, so we didn't even plan this, but I wanted to give a shout out to Shirley Jackson this week, who is the author of the original book, The Haunting of Hill House, which I have not read, but I've heard from people who have read it that it's actually not super similar to the show. It's not at all. Yeah. I think it's like the house is there and there's people investigating the house, but... Yeah, so if you've ever... Have you seen the movie The Haunting? It's like a late 50s, early 60s um, horror film. That's a, a direct... Okay. I'm not talking about the 1999 remake starring Catherine Zeta-Jones. Okay. Um, it's a direct uh, adaptation of mm-hmm. Haunting of Hill House by Shirley Jackson. And then I think when they, when Mike Flanagan was creating the TV show, he was like, I could never live up to like the mastery that was that film and the mastery that was her book. Yeah. So like he said, so like he created like more, it was like a, like a 
a response, like an echo mm-hmm. to the original source material. Okay. Sorry, don't mean to like. Oh my god, no! I'm I'm very that happy that you have that information to share. Um, yeah, I think I just think she's 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 such a cool lady who also I think had a really hard life in a lot of ways. Um, and she, I think the haunting of Hill House is is like considered to be like one of the best ghost stories ever written, mm-hmm. and is like a, a pioneering work in the horror genre and something that people could actually take seriously and like have a really profound, like uh, something that has a really profound effect on people. And I think being a woman, she was born in in 1916 and she died in 1965. And I think being, uh, being a female author in that time, it was really hard for her to have her work taken seriously, especially when she's writing in the horror genre. Um, And I've, I've read a little bit about her and it seems like she, unfortunately she was like married to this professor and he was kind of taking a lot of money from her even though she ended up being more successful than he was and like she i mean she ended up dying at age 48 she she had kind of become a recluse and like became like gained a lot of weight and like smoked a lot and like never kind of went outside and became this like very solitary person and i think had probably a lot of inner demons and, and and i think things were really difficult for her but she also wrote these really incredible works i never put this together but do you remember reading the lottery yes i love the lottery i i just i it's a short story for anyone who hasn't read it i i read it in high school and Mm -hmm. was very affected by it and i just never put two and two together that that was also her Mm -hmm. um and the lottery is is kind of this dystopian story about a town that has this very like disturbing ritual and just like how people people just follow through with it. And and it's such like a great metaphor for so many fucked up things that happen on a daily basis that people just think they have to do um, kind of thing. Um, but I, yeah, I just think she's a really incredible author who probably doesn't get enough recognition. And uh, it's really sad to see that she maybe didn't live the the best life, but at the same time was like really successful for her time and wrote some some books that I think people and some stories that people will be reading for many years to come. Yeah, well, I think it's, you know, it's nice to hear that obviously in, in still in today's times, like her legacy lives on and is still like, mm-hmm. I mean, she's not getting royalties because she's dead, but um, right. but <laughs> maybe inspires more people to check out her work. I definitely, especially now having seen the series, I really want to read the book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I'm sure I will feel the same when I finish the series. Um, But along with that, my story, as I said, is tangentially related to The Haunting of Hill House. Um, So when I, as I started watching it, I kind of wanted to look into like, is any of this like based on a true story in any way? Mm -hmm. Um, And as it turns out, like Shirley Jackson's novel, The Haunting of Hill House, which was published in 1959, is exactly that a novel um it's not really based on true events but there was a story that i found that she says really inspired her based on quote unquote true events and that Shirley jackson was especially enamored by this book called an adventure which was published in 1911 by two british women named charlotte ann moberly and eleanor jordan um it's been described as one of the books that Shirley jackson most admired and it is quite the strange tale in itself it has since become known as the moberly jordan incident of 1901 so i'm going to tell you what happened to these two ladies oh it's a true story it's it's like a a quote unquote true story but i will there's i mean (laughs) these ladies absolutely believe that it happened there are things to dispute it but we're going to get into all of that i mean 
what story would be good if there wasn't a little bit of right. disputing yes, here exactly. and there, a little peppering of it. As, and as we've said on this podcast, whatever we hear, we we accept as cold hard fact. So, mm-hmm. um, and I think you will see kind of some similarities between this story and like it's it's very it's loose, but there are some similar themes with the new Haunting of Hill House series. Cool, I feel. So before I get into the story, um, let me give you a little bit of background on these two women. So Moberly, who was born in 1846, was the 10th of 15 children. Mm. Just right off the bat, we're going to say there's no need. There's no (laughs) fucking need. Okay. Um, She came from a, a professional background is what Wikipedia says. Sorry. Let me tell you my sources. Wikipedia, the lineup, um, Ranker.com and an article on mirror.co. And okay. Um, so, according to Wikipedia, she comes from a professional background. Is that like how which means the, her like the Whaley House had a job? Oh, okay. I was like, is it like the Whaley House where they just fucking loved business? They loved business. No, her father, George Moberly, was the headmaster of Winchester College and later the Bishop of Salisbury. Where are we? Are we in England? We are in England. Okay. I'm hearing Bishop and Salisbury oh, yeah. oh, and not yeah, yeah. in regards to like chess or a stake. So I'm assuming we're across the pond. Exactly. Um, in 1886, Moberly actually herself became the first principal of a hall of residence for young women oh. at um, St. Hugh's College in Oxford. It became apparent that Moberly needed someone to help run the college. And so Jordan was asked to become Moberly's assistant. Let me just say right off the bat, I certainly may be pronouncing their names wrong. And there will be more things I'll probably pronounce wrong. Anyway, Jordan was born in 1863, and she was the eldest of 10 children. So her family was really conservative about that. Um, (laughs) Her father was the Reverend Francis Jordan, and he was the wicker of Ashbourne in Derbyshire which is probably not how you pronounce that. Um, She had a sister who was an art historian and a brother who was a mathematician. And she went to school in Manchester, unlike most girls of the time who would have been educated at home. Um, She was also the author of several textbooks. She ran a school of her own, and she eventually became the vice principal of St. Hugh's College. So basically all of this is to say, like, these two women were very intelligent, Mm -hmm. um, you know, academics, well-educated, and they were certainly like trusted in their communities. So before Jordan was appointed, um, it was decided that the two women should get to know one another better because Jordan was going to come come on to help Moberly um, at, at St. Hugh's College. So Jordan owned an apartment in Paris where she tutored English children. And so Moberly went to Paris to stay with her. So in August of 1901, the two of them boarded a train for Versailles. Mm. In the days prior, they had spent some time sightseeing around Paris, which was actually a city which neither of them were really that familiar with. Um, they Neither of them were, were well-versed in French history, and in truth, neither of them was really that excited about visiting the Palace of Versailles at all. They found the visit somewhat underwhelming. However, with time to spare, Moberly suggested that they visit the Petit Trianon, a small chateau or palace on the property that was first occupied by Madame du Barry until 1774, when a newly crowned Louis XVI gave it to his young queen, Marie Antoinette. Um, so using a Baedeker guide, which I looked up, and basically it was a, a common type of tourist guidebook 
published by the Carl Baedeker Company around that time. So they had a guidebook with them. Um, and they headed in the general direction of the Trianon. They soon realized that they were taking quite a long route and had become lost looking for the Petit Trianon. When they finally came across the Grand Trianon, which is apparently something else, um, <laughs> they found that it had become closed to the public. Um, so they kept walking, though, but they accidentally missed the turn onto the main avenue and instead ended up going down a side lane and inadvertently missing their destination. It was at this time that the women began to experience a slightly odd sequence of events. So the weather was overcast and gray, and the two women found themselves quite alone as they walked, which was a little bit weird for them um, since this is a big tourist attraction. Uh, finally, Moberly noticed a woman shaking a white cloth out of a window, and Jordan noticed an old deserted farmhouse, and both of them noted that there was an old plow nearby that farmhouse. They then saw two men who they thought looked like palace gardeners at first, but then were confused by the way they were dressed, as if they were, quote, very dignified officials dressed in long grayish coats with small three-cornered hats. Um, however, the men simply told them to carry on in the direction they were going and that they were going to come across this petite chateau. <laughs> Um, at this point, the women claimed that a feeling of oppression and dreariness came over them. Oh. Jordan noticed a cottage with a woman and a girl in the doorway. The woman was holding out a jug to the girl, and Jordan described it as a, quote, tableau vivant, which is basically like a living picture or something like a Madame Tussauds waxwork. So it was like, in other words, something about it didn't quite feel real. Like, she was looking at these people, but she was like, it feels like this isn't real life. Um, Moberly did not observe the cottage, but felt the atmosphere change. She later wrote, everything suddenly looked unnatural, therefore unpleasant. Even the trees seemed to become flat and lifeless, like wood worked in, wood worked in tapestry. There were no effects of light and shade, and no wind stirred the trees. At this point, they reached the edge of a wooded area and came across a man seated beside a circular garden kiosk, which I can absolutely not describe to you. I don't know what a garden kiosk is, um, but he was wearing a cloak and a large shady hat. According Ooh. to Moberly, <laughs> just let me... Just, just like a floppy hat. <laughs> I guess, I don't a know. sensible sun hat. According to Moberly, his appearance was, quote, most repulsive, its expression <laughs> odious. His complexion was dark and rough. Jourdain noted the man slowly turned his face, which was marked by smallpox. His complexion oh. was very dark. The expression was evil and yet unseeing. And though I did not feel that he was looking particularly at us, I felt a repugnance to going past him. While they stood frozen there, another man came up to them, described as, quote, tall with large dark eyes and crisp curling black hair under a large sombrero hat. Oh, my God. We're just getting all sorts of hats. Quite a look. The man muttered a few words in rapid French, apparently, and smiled at them and persuaded Moberly and Jourdain to proceed to the right, which they did by passing over a small bridge, uh, which he said was the way to the Petit Trianon. After crossing a bridge, I just hope there's, there's, there's a lot more. Going on. I know. I, I just like really hope there's more French things for you to miss to pronounce. <laughs> oh, there are. Um, after crossing a bridge, they reached the gardens in front of the palace, and Moberly noticed a lady drawing on the grass. 
and apparently this woman looked right at them. And Moberly later described what she saw in great detail. She said the lady was wearing a light summer dress, on her head was a shady white hat, and that she had lots of fair hair. Moberly thought that she was a tourist at first, but the dress appeared to be very old-fashioned, even regal. Walking around to the opposite side, Moberly saw the lady again, this time noticing that her shawl was a pale green. Soon after this, the women came across another tour group and soon left the grounds, but were very shaken by their strange experience. After leaving Versailles, neither Jourdain nor Moberly mentioned the incident to one another until a week later. So they never found the petite Trianon? They never found it. Like all this, there's like mm-hmm. meeting a bunch of people with hats. Yeah. They just keep keeping like, keep going that yeah, way. Exactly. Okay. Um, so Moberly wrote a letter about the trip to her sister, and when she got to the part about Versailles, she decided to ask Jordan if she thought the palace might be haunted. Jordan answered immediately, yes, I do. Three months later, in Oxford, they compared their notes on the incident, and then decided to write separate accounts of what happened and research the history of the Trianon together. Both women described a feeling of depression and anxiety, beginning when they wandered down the path. However, Moberly was shocked to learn that Jordan never even saw a woman sketching in the garden, even though Moberly swore they sat only a few feet from her. They conducted research, as Moberly said, with the idea of disproving the suggestion that anything unusual had happened. However, the feeling that this had not been a normal visit was something they couldn't shake. Through their research, they found that on the 10th of August, 1792, and remember that the women had visited Versailles on the 10th of August, 1901, um, the the Tuileries Palace in Paris was besieged, and the king's Swiss guards were massacred, and the monarchy itself was abolished six weeks later. So this was like a big, yeah. a big hubbub happening in France. Um, Moberly herself actually returned to the site of the Petit Trianon in January of 1902, the next year, or actually just a few months later, um, to retrace her steps, and she found herself again lost in the woods. As she tried to find her way back, she heard, quote, faint music as of a band not far off. She moved closer, catching the, quote, very light music with a good deal of repetition in it. When she returned home, she wrote down 12 bars of music from memory. Just like a sensible four-chord song. (laughs) Yeah, I'm like, okay. And then she founded the Beatles. It was Wonderwall. Um In 1907, Moberly then showed the bars of music that she had written to a musical expert, and he determined that they dated from about 1780. Hmm. Moberly also interviewed caretakers at Versailles who said no bands were allowed to play in the park during winter, and regardless, bands were only allowed to play in one location, and visitors couldn't possibly hear them from the Petit Trianon. So we don't know how she was hearing this music from 1780. Additionally... Both women remembered specific landmarks from their initial trip, like the small rustic bridge that they passed over a tiny waterfall, the garden circular kiosk, and um, a small circular (laughs) circular building (laughs) with pillars and a low wall. However, these landmarks, as well as the woods that Moberly had found herself trapped in, did not actually exist during the 1900s. What? Uh Uh-huh. In fact, (laughs) both women went back to the area numerous times to try to retrace their steps and could not find the landmarks that they had in their memories. Eventually, they came across a map from 1783 that showed the bridge, the garden, and the buildings exactly where they remembered them to be. (gasps) Fuck. 
uh-huh. <laughs> even stranger. This is not where I expected it to I go. I know. It, this is like the weirdest story ever. Because yeah, when I was first reading it, I was like, cool. So they like walked past some people and then yeah, I like, like kept going. They saw a lot of offensive hats and uh-huh. like some smallpox. They did. <laughs> Um, Even stranger, though, as the women looked back at portraits of the residents of Versailles from that time period when they were doing their research, Moberly became convinced of something even more unbelievable. The woman she had seen sitting in the garden, whose clothing she remembered so vividly, had actually been Marie Antoinette herself. Are you kidding? That's what they say. Just like casually in a sundress and like uh-huh. a green shawl, just yeah. like chilling on some grass. <laughs> well, to be fair, so she remembers like exactly what she was wearing. She remembers exactly what she looked like. Um, and she came across this one portrait of her that one of her friends apparently said was like the most realistic version of what Marie Antoinette looked like. And she was mm-hmm. like, oh, my God, that's the fucking lady. <laughs> so then in 1908, Moberly and Jardine found the journal of Madame Aloaf, the queen's dressmaker. A loaf of what? <laughs> Honestly. Um, pumpernickel? A, a loaf of pumpernickel. Wrote in 1789, Marie Antoinette had a few dresses made. Um, however, that that summer, a loaf had made two green silk bodices, a large white fichu, which is like a pashmina tied over the bodice. And I, don't, a, I don't know what words you're saying. Yeah, so, <laughs> Basically, Moberly read this account and uh-huh. she was like, okay, that's the exact dress I saw. Uh. Okay. This is the detail that finally convinced Moberly that the women had actually experienced a time slip. Oh my God. Just a little slip. Just like, whoops. In time. Whoopsie. Um, so other details from the trip also support this claim. Both women remembered seeing a plow on the ground near a pair, the pair of gardeners, like I said before. Um, the, the instrument only stood out after they learned in 1905 that there was not a plow at the Petit Trianon at all. In fact, the land had not been plowed in decades. However, they read um, in Le Petit Trianon by Gustave Desjardins that Louis XVI kept an old plow at the location for years, and it was sold during the French Revolution along with the king's other belongings. Moberly and Jourdain eventually located a picture of Louis XVI's old plow in 1907 and believed it identical to the one that they saw in 1901. Additionally, although the women both clearly remembered the long green coats and the outfits that the two gardeners slash guards had been wearing when they saw them, they learned from someone working at Versailles in 1904 that it was impossible to see these uniforms because green was a royal livery color no longer used in France. Additionally, one of the houses they had discovered on their travels, which at the time had stood in perfect condition and had been guarded by a porter who actually scolded them for standing on the terrace, um, was found by them on a subsequent visit to be in complete disrepair. Workers at Versailles said that no man on the property could remember a time when it had been in use, although the women had seen it in perfect working condition just a few years earlier. Oh. Yeah. The women did not completely agree, however on what they thought all of this meant. Mo really wondered if they somehow slipped through time and walked the grounds of Versailles as they had appeared in 1789. Jourdain, on the other hand, proposed that they had actually slipped into Marie Antoinette's memories from 1789. What? Uh, I mean, <laughs> eventually... That was a little bit of a stretch. <laughs> except that the women then both became convinced that they had seen Versailles as Marie Antoinette remembered it on October 5th, 1789, when she had fled the palace from a mob. Oh, my God. 
I'm not exactly sure why they signaled out this date um, as well as the August 10th date, but this is something that they both became convinced of. Um, And then they ended up publishing the story of their trip to Versailles in the book An Adventure in 1911 under the pseudonyms Elizabeth Morrison and Francis Lamont. Immediately, the story captivated the public, and the two women who had been respected academics became the subject of intense ridicule for their claims. Um, the, their identities of the authors were not actually revealed until 1931, though. Gotcha. So, um, But the claim that Marie Antoinette had been encountered in 1901 caused quite a sensation. However, many critics did not take it seriously on the grounds of the implausibilities and inconsistencies that it was thought to contain. So while the accounts of the two women are incredibly eerie, plenty of credible evidence has also been presented that helps to refute their claims. So in 1903, an old map of the Trianon Gardens was found and apparently showed a, uh, showed the bridge that the two women had claimed to have crossed that had not been on any other map, although not the other landmarks that they talked about. Another explanation was proposed by Philippe Julian in his 1965 biography of the aristocratic French poet Robert de Montesquieu. You got it. You got it. It's, it looks like Montesquieu, but it's not, but it's similar. Um, at the time of Moberly and Jourdain's excursion to Versailles, Montesquieu lived nearby and reportedly gave parties in the grounds where his friends dressed in period costume and performed tableau vivants as part of the party entertainment. Like, great fucking time. <laughs> um, as Wikipedia puts it, Moberly and Jourdain may have, quote, in- inadvertently gatecrashed a gay fancy dress party. Oh. I do think that this explanation is interesting, but I also feel like it is A, a stupid way for people to spend their time, and B, <laughs> doesn't really explain why these women would have been completely alone on the grounds or why they would have seen landmarks that weren't actually there. And additionally, the women allegedly, like when this first happened, they did research into the grounds the day that they were there, and they found out that there had been no parties booked on that day because that was one of their in- initial thoughts was like, what if this was like some weird party that we stumbled into? But that was not the case. Also, this guy apparently suggested that, quote, a gathering of the French decadent avant-garde of the time could have made a sinister impression on the two middle-class Edwardian spinsters who would have been little used to such company. So, oh, like, um, fuck hey, you. Yeah, fuck off. I don't care about what you think. <laughs> They're like, I don't know, like, two women w- who aren't married, I don't think they could have handled a party. Yeah. Cool. Um... Couldn't have handled our hats. <laughs> they couldn't handle the hats, yeah, to be I mean, fair. Um, it doesn't explain, like, the, like, bridge being there, or, like, the kiosk and all that, like, the landmark. Like, that's right. actually what's more disturbing than, like, the seeing the people. Right. It's that there's all these landmarks that it was just, like... Don't exist. They, and then they couldn't find them again. They went back <sighs> multiple times. Yeah. So... It has also been suggested that the incident rose out of a lesbian folia do between the two women. Oh. Why does it have to be specifically a lesbian? Don't know. But, you know, it's an explanation for everything. They're I mean, if just, they're lesbians, they have to so be They're fucking each other, so there's, you know. Um, but clearly, we've been over the concept of folia do many, many times on this podcast and understand the kind of crazy effects it can have on people. So you never know. I don't I don't think that a folia do kind of situation is, is out of the question. I don't know that they were lovers. I don't know that that's relevant at all. Well, I mean, I think the, the, the idea, though, is like usually for people that 
experience fully ado mm-hmm. that it's uh it's like with someone they have like a very strong connection that goes beyond ju- right. so that's why it's usually like siblings or right and like usually or um or lovers or like husband and wife or like was it the, the trump family like they were yeah, and yeah, like yeah. but they were like so um they were, they're like cut off from society like sure. they're fueling each other's delusions it doesn't usually just like just like woo, we're in a garden right. like hey is that no exactly. internet and that weird doll <laughs> No, exactly. And these women don't like really know each other that well. Like they, yeah. they it seems like they met like a, maybe a few weeks before, and they're just like kind of doing the tourist thing around Paris together. So I don't know that that's like the yeah. most I don't buy it worthwhile um, explanation. I go with time slip. Yeah, others believe that the women are just misremembering what they saw or that they misinterpreted perfectly normal events after the fact, um, which I guess is possible. Like I th- again, I think it comes down to like the people. I guess you could explain like maybe they're just wearing weird outfits, but I do think like the landmarks and the fact that the grounds just looked so different that that definitely seems very weird to me. Agreed. However, interestingly, both women are reported to have had many paranormal experiences before and after this adventure. And one of them Moberly claimed to have seen while she was in the Louvre in 1914, an apparition of the Roman emperor Constantine. Um, okay. And no one else saw that. Um, it was a man <laughs> wearing, wearing a gold crown and a toga. Um, and then during the first world war, Jordan, who apparently was the dominant personality of the pair and who had succeeded as principal of St. Hugh's College, became convinced that a German spy was hiding in the college. After developing increasingly autocratic behavior, she died suddenly in 1924 in the midst of an academic scandal over her leadership of the college, which is great. Just like... Um, just like- fell over and died. I yeah. Like she was like really fucking stressed out like this scandal. And yeah, I just, guess um I, I guess like sh- people were like, "Wow, she's going crazy." And some of the academic staff resigned over her conduct. Um okay. and then Moberly died in 1937. Okay. So So um although no one really knows what happened to the two women on that day, the story has not failed to captivate audiences um to this day. And I think it's it's kind of tragic that both of these women, I mean, I I don't know what to think because the fact that there's like these other claims after the fact is not, doesn't, doesn't look great for yeah. them. But I also think it's possible that like the experience that they had and the, and the fact that they decided to publish it and then people were like, didn't believe them, didn't believe them and thought they were crazy. And like, I think they probably had a difficult time for the rest of their lives. Um, but yeah, that's basically the story of the Morelli Jordan incident. Wow, that's really bizarre. It's a really weird one. I don't think that actually like might be like one of the first. It's like it's like Midnight in Paris, but like mm-hmm. but real, but real. And I thought it was really interesting that Shirley Jackson says this is like one of the most one of the stories that inspired her the most when she was writing The Haunting of Hill House. Well, I think that what's so compelling about this story and just with a lot of kind of ghost stories is when like these things happen. Cause you, you hear all the time of like, Oh, like I felt a cold spot mm-hmm. or like something moved or wasn't supposed to be, or like mm-hmm. doors close on their own, which like all have like legit explanations. Whereas mm-hmm. this either they were like either. Okay. So either they're lying mm-hmm. and they came up with this thing together or they were experiencing some sort of shared psychosis. Yep. Or they fucking time travel. Or they fucking did it, man. Yeah. Or they were, or they were, 
everyone that they were seeing was a ghost mm-hmm. is also maybe a possibility. But like, but do like, is there such thing as a ghost kiosk? Yeah, you're right. A ghost kiosk. Maybe in like a super old mall. The only kiosk I can think of is like where you go to get your phone fixed in a mall. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking so, of. Or like, that's my, that must where be you go to like, like print out your like plane tickets yeah, in the airport. Right. But I don't think that's what they're talking about. No. Well. Wow. That's yeah. like. Oh my god, that's yeah, it's bizarre. I know. I don't really know what to think about that one. If you think, if any of you listeners out there have, <laughs> have a thought about, it, I'm I'm curious to know, like, if you, if people have other like explanations or like ideas of like what might have been going on. What I think is interesting is like I I have not I have never been to Versailles. Neither I would love I. to go. I'm Me sure too. it's amazing, but I have been to to other you know historical sites, especially around Europe. As I've explained, I've, I've been to Italy many times because my family is Italian. She's cultured. I'm very cultured. Um, but I, I have been in situations where I've been in a place that's very old and very historical and I know is very significant. And I've had like kind, almost like out of body experiences where I've been like, oh my God, like someone fucking built this. Like this was like, think of all the things that happened mm-hmm. here. Like oh having a very like profound experience, just being in a place. Totally. And I can kind of relate to that. So I could, I guess I could see that going much, much further, which is kind of what it seems like happened to them. But also the fact that they like weren't even that interested in the palace yeah. of Versailles while they were there. It's not like, it's not like these were two like fangirls who were, who like fucking loved Marie Antoinette and like wanted to experience what she experienced. They were just like, this is boring. Let's like, let's find something more interesting. And then this still happened to them. Yeah. I don't know. What was it called? The the Petite? The Petite Trianon is how I've Trianon. been pronouncing it, but I, I, mean, I don't know. I don't know. Um, cool. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's about it. Do you want to complain a little bit? We have to, we have to fulfill that promise from earlier in the episode. Yeah. So my kind of like Halloween related complaint is, I think it's partially because, and we've talked about this before, is that I think we're both kind of at a place in our lives where like, we just like don't, aren't like really super like interested in like dressing up for Halloween anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, like we love everything that revolves around Halloween besides the actual dressing up. Yeah. It's, I just... It's just exhausting that, like, my timeline of, like, all my social media is just, like, flooded with everyone's, like, kind of, like, yeah. hot takes on their costumes. Yeah. And um, in particular, like, just, like, seeing things that just, like, aren't that cute and just, yeah. like, aren't um, – and I know – sorry, I don't mean, like, aesthetically cute. I mean, like, I think especially just because of, like, the current political social climate that, like, people, like, feel like it's, like, funny and interesting to, like – do like to dress up as Brett Kavanaugh or to like dress up as like, um, did you actually see someone do that? I like, I saw, like I saw some like posts about like seeing like, oh. like pictures of like them and Jesus stuff. And just, like, it's just like, it's really, I don't know. It's just not very unsavory. It's very unsavory. And like, even, um, so obviously a couple days ago we, we posted, um, <laughs> our old Halloween costumes and like my mom sent me a bunch and like, I definitely, there was one where I was dressed up as a native American that mm-hmm. was like, granted it was like 1997, but like, yeah, like, people still do it, and, like, people still, like... It's yeah. Also, like, I'm thinking of, like, the, the fucking, like, Megyn Kelly, like, blackface conversation, <laughs> which, like, I don't even want to touch on. But just, like, I think that Halloween brings out a lot of, like, ugliness and a lot of, like, people just, like, then also judging each other because of it or, like, oh, like, you're dressed too slutty or, like, blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah, and... Yeah, I think I think a lot of people will do, kind of like do anything for the joke. So they'll, they'll, they yeah. want to do something super topical and they want to do something that'll be like shocking to people, like dressing up as like a Brett Kavanaugh or something like that. I mean, I this is the way that I felt when 
when like a year after Steve Irwin's death, people were dressing up as oh him God. with with like the stingray like <gasps> on his body. I was like, this is not okay to me because I'm such a fucking huge Steve Irwin fan. Maybe this isn't I a mean, great example not? for normal people, but yeah, exactly. Most lovable person ever. Like we don't have to make fun of a person's very tragic early death just because you want to ha- have like a funny Halloween costume. That was like the slutty handmaid's tale thing. That was actually, like, uh, th- sorry, that was, like, the yeah. epitome of, like, I need to have a topical yet slutty costume. I knew there was something I was forgetting. It's like, <laughs> it was fucking that. It was a fucking slutty hands. And, like, dress is a fucking slut. Like, I, go like, for t- it. Tits out, dick out, like, whatever. But, actually, maybe keep, keep your dicks away. Mm-hmm. But, tits out, love it. Yeah. Um. Just, there's no need to, just like, to pair it yeah, with it's just, that. I don't know. It's it's a simultaneous like not wanting to be like too, like I understand like not wanting to be like too politically like, politically correct and like it's a it's a fun time to like be goofy and, and dress up. Um, I think just like partially like and granted like who am I to be like on my high horse like scrolling through my Instagram feed? But I think just because it's like overwhelming. Yeah. These days and like Halloween hasn't even happened yet, so I can't wait for what the next couple days have in store. Honestly, um, yeah, my my complaint is also Halloween related, very much more petty than yours. But I, as you know, I moved in like the end of August and I finally live somewhere where we have a stoop that we're like allowed to use. And since we moved in here, I have been so excited about the prospect that we're going to have trick-or-treaters and I could like sit out on my stoop with a bowl of candy and see some adorable children and hand out candy to them. And it was going to be a fucking Halloween dream for me. And I've just... See all those kids in those slutty handmaid's tail costumes. Exactly. I couldn't wait. And then within like the last week, I've come to the realization that children go to bed really early Mm -hmm. and apparently and since it gets dark at like five they go trick-or-treating like at five and not at like 7 30 or 8 which is like kind of when i get home from work (laughs) and i can't really get home earlier than that and i'm probably not gonna fucking have any trick-or-treaters because they're gonna have already been through here and it's honestly crushing me i'm so sorry so if you are between the ages of four and 11 and you want to come by my house dressed as whatever you want just like let me know send me a dm (laughs) i'm so sorry i'm not inviting children to come to my house after 8 p.m it's like everyone listening to this is promptly calling the police (laughs) anyway i feel like that's a great place for us to end this yeah well happy halloween kiddos Um, stay safe have a blast um dresses whatever you want as long as it's like not incredibly offensive to like every woman out there yeah it's just basically like have some fucking common sense and 99.9 percent of people out there do i mean well our listeners have common sense Mm -hmm. they know what the fuck is up that's right um and uh you can follow us on instagram and twitter at rwf podcast you can email us at rwf podcast at gmail.com rate review and subscribe we love y'all thanks for listening Bye, bye bitches